Busy Birds. Welcome to another episode of Mama Earth Talk. I'm your host, Maris Ganal. Realizing just how much waste we generate on a daily basis, I've set a personal goal not only to reduce, reuse, and recycle, but to also educate the world about sustainability and how each of us can help preserve our beautiful planet. Thanks for listening. Let's dig in. Our guest today is an award-winning science communicator, video producer, content creator, podcaster, and curiosity explorer. Crazy birds, without any further ado, I would like to welcome Trace Dominguez. Hello. <laughs> yeah, so Trace, how did your sustainable journey actually start? So I grew up in the Midwest, in the U.S., and I joined the Boy Scouts, actually the Cub Scouts when I was really young. My parents put me in there, probably to get me out of the house. And um, when I joined Boy Scouts, there was this thing called Philmont, and it's a, called a high adventure camp in New Mexico. And I went and hiked for 85 miles over a month and you know, didn't we brought everything with us. We carried it all on our backs, and that included any uh, trash that we created until we found a dumpster or trash can at one of the camps that we were stopping at. We had to carry it with us. And that really kind of opened my eyes to how much trash I was creating. I had never really thought about it because, again, I grew up in kind of a small town in the Midwest. We always had trash collection every week, so we would put trash in the bin and it would disappear to the landfill. So for me, it really started thinking about sustainability a little more tangibly then. We would take the trash that we would generate and we would try and compress it to fit into our backpacks that we had to carry with us. And I ended up you know, even practicing before I went on the trip to try and be good at it. And um, I, I could compress about 20 different chip bags into the size of like a peanut bag on an airline. Wow. <laughs> and I was very proud of that. <laughs> but it, it really just, it opened my eyes to how much trash we really do generate if we're not thinking about it. It's easy to, to, to fix if you know that you're going to generate trash and make those decisions. But if you're not thinking about it, which I wasn't, you can generate a lot of trash in a very short amount of time. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I honestly believe you walking around with 65 kilos or 143 pounds, I think it is, and um, pounds. Yeah. Wow. That's some journey. So then did it just then continue from there on? And just as you as you grew older, it kind of stuck with you? Yeah. As I grew older, I just kind of kept thinking about how much trash we were generating. And now I live in San Francisco and it's been incredible to see how quickly the shift happened. Because here in San Francisco, the city requires everyone to compost. Mm. So we have compost bins that the city comes and picks up from us every week. And you can put plant material in there from your yard and stuff as well. But now I we compost here at home, we recycle, and we have a landfill bin. And that's the case at restaurants all over the city and everything. So whereas in other places I've lived, someone might give you two plastic bags with your take out food here, they will give you a paper bag or no bag and say, ask you if you want one. And most of the time I say, no, if I'm just walking down the street. I can carry you know, a box. And I think that is great. I, I love that. And I notice when I go to other cities and they don't recycle their soda cans, for example, or if they don't compost, I found myself standing in front of trash cans 
in other <laughs> states and cities and just so confused. Where do I put my food waste if I have any? Where do I put my recyclables? It's it just continues. Once you once you start seeing it in the world, you can't stop seeing it. Exactly. And so talking about like a lot of stuff, you know, that that you see, there's a, a lot of stuff online of you to see. So you have host and written hundreds of videos over the years. And you've also been part of the discovery team as well as Seeker and many more amazing teams. What was one of the things that made you want to actually create content? Well, I sort of fell backwards into content creation. I was working for discoverynews.com, which is now seeker.com, as an intern. And they said, hey, when I actually was hired on to work as an associate producer, they said, hey, you need to start making videos. And I said, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'd been writing blogs and making slideshows and things for the website, but I'd never made video before. And they said, well, we really need somebody who can make video. And you, you work here, so why don't you try your hand at it? And I really loved it. And I think part of what, you know, I've made videos and little movies and things in high school and, you know, I enjoyed taking pictures. And so I, I was comfortable around some types of simple camera equipment, but I'd never really done anything as ambitious as try and turn out videos at the time every week. It ended up being every day eventually. So we got, we got a lot better at it and we had a team, but it was really just fun. I got so into learning something new every week and then being able to share that with other people. That was just, I, I got addicted to that for sure. It was so fun. To, I, I love learning new things. And anybody who knows me will say that you can tell when I'm having a good time, when I'm reading something and I say out loud, huh, oh, <laughs> well, that's cool. And I, I do talk to myself <laughs> all, all the time about stuff like that. So one of the things that made me want to create content is I worked at a museum when I was in college and I got my first taste of this. I sort of realized later when you're talking to an audience, you get that feedback right away. And I would be standing on a parade ground in a historic fort in northern Michigan called Fort Mackinac. I'm in costume and I'm holding, you know, a, a bugle or a <laughs> historic rifle and I'm talking to people about the history of these pieces or why we did these things and people are just wrapped with attention. And that feeling of being able to just share knowledge with people and make them go, huh, wow, is just, I can't describe it. It's one of the best feelings in the world. That's amazing. I really feel that, you know, through some of your content, people are learning and there's so many shocking facts that, you know, is out there that you guys tackle and that you, you actually bring to our attention. So one of those things is like we've heard a lot of shocking facts about plastic and you've created a video, The Shocking Truth About Biodegradable Plastics that I absolutely loved. Um, and it really explained so much, you know, like me being in this industry, it's sometimes hard to tell people this is what biodegradable means. Or, you know, when you actually see something that says, you know, it's a PLA, it's still a type of plastic or, you know, so it's hard to always explain these things. But can you tell us a little bit more about what your thought process was behind that and kind of just about the video, just like for our crazy birds that have not seen it? And I will link it up in the show notes so that they can after this. Yeah, that one actually, it's funny. So 
you said I've made hundreds of videos. That's true. I, I've actually, I went through when I recently left my position and started my own thing, which we can talk about later, but I went through and categorized how many scripts I had written and it's, it's over a thousand. Wow. And, and even with that many pieces of content, this one stood out to me because while I was reading about it, I was just aghast. I was so surprised because when I think of biodegradable plastic, I was like, oh, this is fantastic. Now we have this thing and we can feel better about using plastic products. But as you say, it is still plastic. It's just a different type, which I think is fantastic to, to know. It's, it makes the perspective shift for sure. Exactly. The things that really stood out to me about that video was the three ways that something can biodegrade, which I was unaware of, and that uh, is according to the International Union of Pure and Applied Chemistry, and it's primary, environmentally acceptable, and ultimate. So primary biodegradation, like chemical alteration of the substance itself. So it just chemically breaks down. And then there's environmentally acceptable, which is the biodegradation of undesirable properties of the compound. So things that are bad break down. And then the ultimate in biodegrade is a complete breakdown of a compound to either fully oxidized or reduced simple molecules like water, carbon dioxide, methane, nitrate, or whatever else. And I think that's great because that's what you assume is happening with biodegradable plastic. And that sort of happens, but not really. Not unless you're in a commercial composting facility are you going to get biodegradable plastics or compostable plastics that can do that. And it really comes back to reduce, reuse, recycle, right? You want to not just say, oh, well, we'll recycle that's fine. Exactly. You need to also reduce your use and you need to reuse things that you can. So just because it's a one-time use fork that says compostable on it doesn't mean you should feel like you can just throw it away. If you can reuse it, use it again and again and again. You know, use it 10 times if you can. <laughs> Wash yeah. it just like anything else, you know. Yeah, and I think especially there's there's a lot of products um, like the PLA out there um, that, you know, says it's compostable, but then in very, very, very fine and sneaky print, it actually says in an industrial compost machine or something like that. Mm -hmm. So it was funny when I was in New York, we had drinks at one of the places next to the Brooklyn Bridge and they had these plastic cups. And I just refused to use the plastic cup and they didn't want to give me a glass cup because of health reasons or something. And they also didn't want to put it in my container. So I just ordered a can. So that was like my kind of compromise. But then, you know, I kind of showed them or asked them, you know, what happens to these cups and they're like, oh, we, um, we throw them, you know, in this bin. And then I was like, yeah, but then what happens to it afterwards? And they kind of didn't really know what the answers were. And then when I lifted like the cup up and I was like showing them, you know, this little fine print, something like kind of clicked and they were like, oh, you know, what are we doing? Like, mm -hmm. is this even mm -hmm. going to this, you know, because they weren't really segregating this from other plastics and things like that. So I think, you know, people are kind of misleaded in such a way. It's very misleading all the information and everything that's out there. So that's why when I saw this, you know, and especially with the PLA, Everyone always just thinks, oh, it's corn. It's made from corn. It's so good. And then, mm -hmm. you know, give themselves this like pat on the back and like, this is amazing. Mm -hmm. You think, oh, it's corn. It's probably fine for the environment. Plants are natural, but this is not a, it is plant-based, but this is not a plant. This is a plastic. We're using the 
resins and oils and things that are inside of plants and they're using them in such a way to mimic a polymer. And thus you get similar properties to polymers, which makes them difficult to break down. And, you know, the I was reading up on this just recently, actually, and the discussion was it's really the same as a plastic. It just might take slightly less time to break down in a natural environment. Like if you took a a bioplastic and you just put it in your home compost bin, it would eventually break down, but it would break down more akin to a plastic and not a compostable item. Though that said, there do have to be some rules that call something compostable, which I was uh, interested, I thought you might be interested in, and that is it has to biodegrade into carbon dioxide, water, and biomass at the same rate as paper. It has to disintegrate and doesn't need to be screened out of your compost, and it doesn't produce any toxic materials. That's the ideal compostable material, which I think is interesting. And I don't know if biodegradable or, I know biodegradable plastics don't do that, but I don't know about compostable yeah, that's an interesting one. Something that we all can have a think about and maybe get some some more information on. That's That sounds very interesting. So, Trace, you have covered a wide range of topics over the years. What was some of the feedback that you've received from some of the content that you've actually made? Well, it depends on the type of content. I think the science-based content, most of the feedback I get is super positive. People want to learn more about the world around them, I've found, especially if that has to do with things like space. People love being inspired by these stories of these huge, literally astronomical things. They also love to learn about themselves. People love to learn about what I would call a human story, something that kind of reflects that back on them. And of course, you know, pet stories and things like that. The YouTube comments section is notoriously horrifying, but for the most part in my history, if you of cut out the horrifying parts of it. Everybody else is super excited and just there to learn something new and, and share it with other people. So those are those are my favorite comments. Oh, that's that sounds great. And yeah, just on a, another like thing. So you've obviously done this now for some time. So if there were people that kind of wanted to start their own like, you know, YouTube channel or something, do you have any any tips for them? The main tip I would have if you want to start your own YouTube channel is to just start your own YouTube channel. <laughs> I mean, the worst thing that could happen is you either get too busy to keep doing it or you don't necessarily see a lot of audience come and show up. Some of those things you can fix. You know, you can find ways to make an audience find you online. But often it's just a lot of work and people might not have as much time as they want. And I'm not discouraging. There's this great conference called VidCon. It happens every year. And it started with just a few hundred people or a few thousand people. And now it's tens of thousands of people. And it's a conference of people who create videos, people who like sell ads for videos, people who are in corporate environments that make videos and things like myself. Uh, when I was working at Seeker, I would go every year and I learned so much. But the main takeaway is just start doing it. Because you'll never know if you really love it you might love the idea of it. You might love parts of it. You know, there are so many different jobs in video creation too. So I think just get out there and make some videos. The worst case, they suck at first and then they get better. You know, I, if you look at my early videos, they were really bad. <laughs> you know, they were really bad. And they got slowly better as we got different team members and we got different budget. And we got different experiences. Like I got better at making videos and got better at presenting them. So you learn as you go. And talking about it is one thing, but just 
sitting down and trying to make it is a whole other one. And that's the better way to go. Yes, I also feel, you know, you just need to start. I mean, I've done quite a few videos already on my YouTube. And now when I look back at it, like one of the videos that has got the most views are one of my earlier videos where the camera is literally shaking. And I'm like, who would watch this? But I just decided, you know what, I'm going to upload this just because then it's done. And then I can just improve from here on. So hopefully it can't Mm -hmm. go worse, but it can definitely improve. (laughs) Yeah, that's the exact way you should do it. I do that. I mean, if I'm being completely honest, almost every week, I look at a video that I'm making and I think I could do this better. I wish I would have done that better before I shot this or before I captured that. I wish there was this piece of B-roll that I could add. You know, nothing is ever perfect. What it is, is is if, if you feel good about it and you feel like it gets your message across. And, you know, if you look at YouTube, there's a lot of videos that are terribly made, but wonderful messages. And that's, I think, what everyone should strive to if they decide to do YouTube stuff is try to have a good message. Try to say something important to you and hopefully you'll find other people who find it important. And Trace, in the last few months, you have made a huge decision. And that was when you started your Uno Dos of Trace. Am I saying that right? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So absolutely love your channel. What can our crazy birds kind of expect from you for the future? So every week on my channel, Uno Dos of Trace, I'm making an educational video about something that I find fascinating or I found that week that might be news, might be an older story that I just hadn't seen before. And I try and cover it in a way that I haven't seen other people talk about it. In the future, uh, I hope to do bigger videos. So this coming week, actually, on Saturday will be my first video where I go and talk to scientists. I'm doing a video about specimens in museums and how they keep them from decaying for a century or more. So I got to talk to some taxidermists at a few different museums around the United States, and I got to go and film some of these collections that are as old as the early 1900s or the late 1800s, and they just have them in these museums. And the thing that really got me thinking about it was I was at this museum and had just composted a bunch of fresh fruit that I had bought and I didn't eat. And I felt really bad about it, so it was kind of weighing on me, and I went out and kind of trying to distract myself at this museum. And I'm thinking, I can't even keep oranges fresh. And this specimen that I'm looking at is from the 19-teens. How do they keep these animals looking so good? And and how do they keep them looking alive? Uh, So I went and talked to the scientists about it. And it's really, really fun. So um, I'm going to make more of these kind of videos in 2019. I'm really excited about it. That sounds wonderful. I'm really looking forward to find out more about that. That's something I've never really thought about. But, you know, yet every time when you go to like a museum or something, everything is in pristine conditions. And, you know, but yeah, it's still it needs to stay that way and get maintained. So that sounds very interesting. So before we're going to move into the last few questions, is there anything that you feel that we've left out before we go to the standard questions? Anything you want to still add? Because then we can just pop it in here. Just one thing I read that I was surprised by. When I stare at the three trash bins and I have a compostable fork in my hand and I wonder, okay, well, what if they don't have a compostable? Should I put it in recycling or should I put it in the landfill? 
I read that you're supposed to put it in landfill because it can actually mess up recycling streams if you put a compostable plastic into a recycling bin. And that was surprising. Yeah, I I get that asked a lot as well. And um, I think, I can't remember who was it, but someone did mention that they are trying to add a fourth bin now in some places mm-hmm. that will be for compostable items, like biodegradable items, so that you can add those items in there because it is an issue when, you know, you throw all of those stuff into the recycling. Mm-hmm. It basically contaminates because it's not pure, pure plastic, yet there is still little parts of plastic in. It just, yeah, like what you said, it it messes it up. And, you know, in a landfill also, like, I mean, with biodegradable, it needs like kind of the oxygen to actually biodegrade or the oxo biodegradable stuff needs oxygen. So when it's in a landfill, it also won't really biodegrade as it would in nature. But I mean, obviously, we don't want to leave all the spoons and forks in the nature. So it needs to go somewhere. So for me, it's a very tricky thing, because like, I don't also know kind of where does it fit in. And then when you put it in the landfill, you know, it's going to take still a long time. But then, you know, you can't really leave it in the nature. But yeah, so I think, you know, people should should just practice like not to to take the stuff and to refuse it. So we practice five R's actually. So the first one mm-hmm. is refuse and then it's reduce and then reuse and then recycle. And then the last one is the rot, which is the compost. So that's how we wing our almost zero waste lifestyle in our house. So yeah, I mean, not using that fork would probably be the first thing to actually have your own. But I mean, in an ideal world, that would be the scenario. But I know we don't live in an ideal world. So in some cases, you would need to use a plastic fork or spoon or something. So yeah, that is true. That's cool. I have not heard all five of those. and I like, I like them. <laughs> yeah, the five R's. It was actually B Johnson. She was also on my podcast. She stays in California. I want to kind of say San Francisco, but I'm not too sure. But yeah, so she's like the zero waste queen. So she came up with the five R's. So just absolutely loved what she said in like in her book as well. So it really helped me. And yeah, obviously, if you refuse, then, you know, then it kind of limits all the other stuff. So it makes it way less. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, that's a good way to do it. Yeah. So, Trace, what has been one of your most important decisions that you have made around Mama Earth? I think one of the most important decisions was just to be conscious of the impact that we have. You know, when I, as I mentioned, went to that scout camp in New Mexico, and it was just this beautiful, pristine nature. And I was thinking to myself, oh, my gosh, I'm carrying around all this trash. (laughs) That's crazy. (laughs) And yet I wouldn't want it to be here. Like, I wouldn't want to put it here. So it was what I had to do in order to keep it looking that way and to keep it for future generations. And in that case, at least future scouts who wanted to come and hike around and have the same experience I did. So the decision that I made was to be conscious of how much trash you're putting out. And so now my fiance and I are a little fanatical about it. <laughs> we'll say, you know, like, oh, does that go in the compost? No, you that needs to go in the recycling and that one needs to go in the compost. And you just put these things apart. <laughs> you put that one, it has to go in the landfill and we feel really bad about it, but that's where it has to go. And this is unfortunate, but, you know, <laughs> we, we'll have a lot of conversations about it. Exactly. 
Cool. Well, we are going to move into our final five. So the first one is, what is one social media account that you follow? I follow a lot of different social media and I thought about this question a lot. And the thing I think I get the most kind of joy out of right now is this list that I follow. So it's not one person, it's a whole list of of people. And the list is called Women to be Thankful for. And it's by Katie Hawkins Gar. And I'm not sure if I'm saying her last name G-A-A-R, right? But she's at Katie Hawk and her you can follow her list and subscribe to it. It's 1,228 member list of women who she lists as smart, caring, empathetic, and driven women in journalism. And I think it's great. Oh, wow. Definitely check that out. And what is your hope for Mama Earth going forward? I hope people realize how much that they can affect Earth. I mean, reading about science stuff over the last few years and reading uh, about things in history, uh, where I used to work at a museum, you see a lot of historical records. People used to think that humans were this tiny thing living on this giant planet, and there's no way that they could affect it in any way. But now we realize we're actually a really big part of a tiny planet, and it's the only one we have. So I just hope that for Mama Earth's sake, we are conscious and we pay attention to the fact that we have this power. Cool. And what advice can you give our crazy birds this week to help out Mama Earth? I think a big one that I've learned from making videos is recently I made a video about the reusable water bottle. And whenever you're at a conference or a fair or, you know, somewhere like a flea market and you see people giving out reusable bottles for free, don't take them because those reusable bottles take more energy to make than just the glasses that you have at home or a metal reusable bottle that you've already purchased. So when you have 20 or 30 reusable bottles, what you really have is a delay in the waste stream. It'll get into the trash eventually. You're just holding on to it until you get rid of it, right? And there's been a study of the number of times that you have to use a reusable bottle in order for it to be equal to like glass at home or whatever. And it's hundreds of times to make them kind of neutral, carbon neutral, because it takes a lot of carbon to make a thick piece of reusable plastic. So that would be my big advice is just don't take those things to uh, use the new first R that I've learned, refuse. (laughs) Exactly. And what is one sustainability fact that you like to use in a room with people not yet on a sustainable journey? I think my favorite one is that we do not live in a movie. So there is no balance to nature. Nature doesn't rebalance. Like if you jump off of the teeter-totter, it doesn't go back to center. It will continue on the path that you pushed it on. Um, so we have to actively try and make nature better or balanced or stop the processes that we started in order for nature to readjust. When you make a change in the world, it doesn't go back to normal before the movie credits roll. Our changes are permanent. And when you put a footprint on the moon, it stays there. So it's one of those things where you just have to pay attention and actively think about it. And where can people find you? The best place to find me is on Twitter. I'm on there all the time. You can find me at Trace Dominguez, D-O-M-I-N-G-U-E-Z. And the second best place to find me is on my YouTube channel. Same thing, youtube.com slash Trace Dominguez. And it's Una Dose of Trace. And I make a new video about education and science and history every week. 
Awesome. And on Instagram as well, I believe there's a very interesting video that was posted a few weeks ago, or was it a few days ago? I am also on Instagram, yes. And I don't know what video you mean. I mean the congratulations on your engagement oh, video. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I guess I did get engaged very recently. So that was really fun. We were at Grand Central Station in New York. It's one of my fiance's favorite buildings. She really loves the architecture. And so I surprised her by getting a bunch of her friends and family and they all filmed the engagement. And I thought that would be the end of it. And I could cut it into a nice video. And, and then it turned out that hundreds of people in Grand Central stopped and watched and clapped and cheered. And it was <laughs> Very exciting. And it was also scary. Oh, <laughs> it, was really, it looked amazing. It was really fun. We were actually in that exact building a few months back. So I showed my husband the video and I was like, look, we were there. If we were there that time, we would have been able to see this. Like we were standing right there. So I thought it was very sweet. So yeah, such a big congratulations and all the best for that. I'm sure all the wedding planning has probably started and is going to be just full of fun and there'll probably be loads of videos. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> well, Trace, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. And we will link all of your details up in the show notes so our crazy birds can find you. And yeah, just keep on doing what you're doing. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. You're most welcome. And that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening. You can find the show notes for this episode at mamaearthtalk.com. Follow at Design by Mariska on Instagram or email hello at mamaearthtalk.com. And let me know if there's a topic you'd like me to talk about. I love hearing from all you crazy birds. New episodes are uploaded every Monday with a bonus Top Tip Thursday every Thursday. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss anything. Mama Earth has a voice and it's us crazy birds.